Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 83, Measure Twice, Cut Once, which tells a brief history of scientific units, that is, the metric system. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. Living in the United States, I get mixed messages specifically about measurement units. For everyday life, I weigh food in pounds and ounces, I drive or walk miles, I drink eight ounce glasses of water, and I buy fuel in gallons. U.S. gallons, not imperial gallons. But as a chemist in the laboratory, and whenever I travel to other places, food is weighed in kilograms, distances are kilometers, I drink 250 milliliters of water, and fuel is in liters. There have been some inroads to the metric system in the USA. Photographic film is measured in millimeters, Wine and fizzy drinks are sold by the liter or milliliter, and nutrition labels list sugars and protein in grams. The scientific world uses exclusively the metric system, and this episode will talk something about its history. One of the first people to invent a universal set of units to describe the world was English Anglican clergyman John Wilkins, in 1668. By this time, natural philosophy was becoming a thing in Europe. Robert Boyle and friends were active in Britain, and Wilkins himself was interested in experimental science. Wilkins collected a group of friends at Oxford University who called themselves the Oxford Philosophical Club. Not long thereafter, he helped found one of the most prestigious scientific organizations to this day, the Royal Society. In 1668, he published a book in London titled An Essay Towards a Real Character and a Philosophical Language, which wanted to ease communication between scholars. Among the book's aims was to dethrone Latin, the European language of scholarship, but which had its peculiarities, and supplant it with a universal language, as well as the creation of an international system of measurement. A second luminary espousing universal units was Gabriel Mouton, an abbot in Lyon, France, as well as a mathematician and astronomer, who proposed another set of universal units in his book from 1670, Observationes diametrorum solis et lunae apparentium. Mouton's unit was based on the circumference of the Earth. Mouton wanted to use a milliair, one minute of arc based on the best measurements of the time, which was about 1.85 kilometers along the Earth's surface. He divided the milliair into 10 centurias, 100 decurias, 1,000 virgas, which is about 1.85 meters, and so on, smaller. Mouton gained support from astronomer Christian Huygens, 
and you may begin to see something familiar in the way the units are set up. But again, interest didn't translate into active usage. It took another century, well into the Enlightenment period, and a national revolution, before such a universal set of units began to gain sway. The French Revolution, which had such a terrible outcome for one of France's premier scientists, Antoine Lavoisier, had a different outcome for a unified set of weights and measures. Charles Maurice de Talleyrand Perigord. A French bishop who became excommunicated and secularized, and a respected diplomat commonly called Talleyrand, sponsored legislation in the French Revolutionary National Assembly to create a better system of measures in 1790. The French Academy of Sciences came up with a variation of Mouton's idea, that is, to use a segment of the Earth's circumference, specifically. One ten millionth of the quadrant from the equator to the North Pole. That segment was called the meter, which is spelled M-E-T-R-E in most of the world, but M-E-T-E-R in the USA now. Units for volume, area, and mass were all derived from this meter, so the units were related directly to each other. For larger and smaller units. Just multiply or divide by ten, which makes arithmetic and moving decimal points around very easy. The name meter comes from the Greek word metron, meaning measure. The physical standard wasn't merely any quadrant of the Earth, but that quadrant from equator to north pole, running through France, obviously, specifically near Dunkirk in France. And the city of Barcelona in Spain. Two surveyors, Jean Baptiste Joseph Delambre and Pierre François André Machin, worked for six years and harassment and even arrest to get their best measurements of that quadrant, and ultimately forgot to include the fact that the Earth isn't a sphere, but really squished flat a little, top to bottom, because of its rotation. But a meter they got, and that's what was sent for approval. How is a unit of mass based on length? Like this: take a cube of water, one one hundredth of a meter on a side, that is one centimeter on a side. Weigh it. That's one gram. Of course, you do have to specify the temperature because, as water heats up from zero degrees Celsius. It first contracts a bit till it reaches four degrees Celsius, then expands till it starts boiling at a hundred degrees Celsius. So we use water at its highest density at four degrees Celsius for the cubic volume. How about a unit of volume itself? Take a cube of one tenth meter length on each side, and that's one liter. Liter is spelled L-I-T-R-E in most of the world, and L-I-T-E-R in the USA. Temperature we've already hinted at. We use a scale originally called centigrade or 100 divisions from the freezing point of water at zero to the boiling point of water at 
So now we have our decimalized common weights and measures for commerce and natural philosophy: volume, mass, and even temperature. What about time? Time, since the ancients, has its own weird system, with one day divided into twenty-four segments, hours, subdivided by sixty into minutes, and again by sixty into seconds. One month, originally based on the moon's phases, isn't exactly thirty days, and one year isn't exactly three hundred sixty-five days. So this scheme really needs some simplification, or so the French thought at the time, which went on a decimalization rampage. In 1793, the French government decided to drop the traditional time units and go for a metric-style system. Let me try to explain this brief foray into decimal time. One year was divided into twelve renamed months, not decimal. Each of which had thirty days, also not decimal. The extra five or so days were eventually named jours complémentaires, complementary days, used as holidays with fun names like Day of Virtue, Day of Genius, Day of Work, Day of Reason, Day of Reward, and Day of Revolution. Months were divided into three decades of ten days each. Each day was split into ten hours, and each hour was divided into ten minutes. Ten minutes was named a decime, and was about the same time as a traditional quarter hour. Clocks had to be rebuilt with new workings and faces. Such Republican clocks are a rare find, but do exist these days. With apps and websites. You can also calculate and convert between our Gregorian calendar and the French Republican calendar. Of course, this decimal time scheme got pushback, and in 1795, the French government cancelled the required usage of the Republican timekeeping. But it lasted another decade till January 1, 1806. France then returned to the rest of Western Europe and North American usage of the Gregorian calendar and traditional hours, minutes, and seconds. By the way, Russia used the traditional clock method, but the Russian Empire remained with the older and more inaccurate Julian calendar until their revolution in 1918. If you do genealogy in the old Russian Empire in the 19th century, you need to account for the differences in calendars, about a week and a half, between the Julian and Gregorian calendars. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior. With your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. It was at this time too that metric currency became the rage. The new USA was heavily influenced by the French philosophy, 
and soon had dollars divided into 100 cents. Meanwhile, the rest of the new metric system was officially adopted in France in 1795. From 1798 to 1799, there was a conference, including dignitaries from Italy, Spain, Denmark, Switzerland, and Netherlands, to support the metric system and create physical prototypes. Using the new metal platinum, actual standards were made for the meter and kilogram, 1,000 grams. They gained official usages in France on December 10, 1799. This French metric system continued to wax and wane in usage and law for several decades, but France required its usage in 1840, and then other European countries followed the economic powerhouse that France was and adopted it too. By the 19th century, international trade and technology became even more important, so international measurement standards also became crucial. With that in mind, even the physically isolated USA adopted legally the metric system in 1866, noting that it was, quote, lawful throughout the United States of America to employ the weights and measures of the metric system in all contracts, dealings, or court proceedings, unquote. Ironically, as the U.S. Metric Association notes on its website, What Americans call the English system has never had legal status in this way, and not until 1893 were these English units defined, but only in terms of metric units. International cooperation continued in the later 19th century to support and advance the easier metric units. Seventeen countries, including the USA, signed the Convention du Maître, the Treaty of the Meter, on May 20, 1875, with 22 articles, which I shall not read. These countries were the USA, Germany, Austria and Hungary, Belgium, Brazil, Argentina, Denmark, Spain, France, Italy, Peru, Portugal, Russia, Sweden and Norway, Switzerland, the Ottoman Empire, and Venezuela. The ultimate governance scheme is that the General Conference for Weights and Measures runs an International Committee on Weights and Measures, which organizes an International Bureau of Weights and Measures. Prototypes from the French originals were fabricated and sent to governments that ratified the convention around the world. Metric use continued to grow through the end of the 19th century. By 1900, 35 countries were signatories. With scientific precision and advancement, the metric system needed a lot of updating in the mid-20th century. So, The General Conference on Weights and Measures did just that in 1960. They created six basic units within the renamed Système International d'Unité, 
International System of Units, or SI for short. These units are the meter, length, kilogram, mass, second, time, ampere, electrical current, Kelvin, temperature, and candela, luminous intensity. We've already discussed the original basis for the meter and kilogram. The second is the traditional short time unit. The ampere is a unit for amount of electrical current, something which wasn't known in the 1790s and didn't become a real thing till the 19th century and not even understood till the 20th century with the discovery of electrons. The unit wasn't invented until 1881 at the International Exposition of Electricity in Paris. The candela was invented in 1948 as a metric unit for luminous power per unit of solid angle. The Kelvin is the same size degree of temperature as the centigrade scale, now the Celsius scale, but starting at the coldest possible temperature with no molecular motion, absolute zero. By 1971, the General Conference added one more basic unit, the mole. Now, you may have realized that until now, I have not mentioned the mole at all in this podcast, and this is a deliberate choice on my part. Introductory chemistry classes spend hours drilling test questions and quiz problems on converting mass in grams into moles of substance. This often seems to cause trauma and panic attacks in chemistry students in high school and their first year of university. Hence, I chose deliberately to avoid even speaking the word. But now I cannot avoid it any longer. The mole is just as my father of blessed memory, himself a chemistry professor for 40 years, used to say, a number of particles or objects, like a dozen or a gross. We can speak of a dozen eggs, a special name for 12 eggs, but we can also have a dozen of any other objects. A baker's dozen is 13 objects. A gross is 144 objects. A mole is just an unimaginably huge number of objects because the objects we typically speak of in chemistry are so small as to be invisible. Atoms and molecules. That number is a specific number, but it's not based on 12 or a power of 10. By 1971, when the mole was officially added to the international system, the International Bureau of Weights and Measures defined one mole of particles as, quote, the amount of substance of a system which contains as many elementary entities as their atoms in 0.012 kilogram of carbon-12, unquote. Therefore, one mole of carbon-12 has a mass of exactly 12 grams. What then is that number of carbon-12 atoms that make up a mole? It turns out that 6.022 with more digits past that decimal point times 10 to the 23rd power atoms molecules, or any other particles you care to choose, are a mole of particles. It's not an obvious number because it is ultimately based on measurements, not on derivations and powers of 10. The number itself has a name, like dozen, 
thousand, or gugol, ten to the one hundredth power. That number for the mole is called Avogadro's number, symbol capital N, subscript capital A, named for Amadeo Avogadro, the Italian chemist decades ahead of his time. Avogadro posited that in all gases at the same temperature and pressure, the number of molecules is the same, which wasn't accepted in chemistry till after the 1860 Karlsruhe conference, which he never lived to see. The name mole itself comes from German. It appeared in an 1897 English translation of Georg Helm's *The Principles of Mathematical Chemistry*. Originally spelled M O L, see page six of the book. Helm's word came about through Wilhelm Ostwald in 1893 in his textbook *Hand und Hilfsbuch zur Ausführung physico-chemischer Messungen* from the German word for molecule, see page 119. The value of the basic unit, the mole. Is that it converts or translates from the nanoscopic atomic and molecular world to the macroscopic laboratory bench world? If we talk about hydrogen gas and oxygen gas in the reaction 2H2 plus O2 gives 2H2O, we may talk equally about two molecules of hydrogen gas plus one molecule of oxygen gas makes two molecules of water. Or two moles of hydrogen gas, which weighs four grams, plus one mole of oxygen gas, which weighs thirty-two grams, makes two moles of water, which weighs thirty-six grams. Chemists, of course, may use all these basic units in their experiments. Mass of reactants and products is important. The time a reaction takes is important. If we are doing electrochemistry, the number of electrons transferred from one atom to another is important. The temperature of a reaction is crucial because this tells us the average energy the various molecules have during the reaction. The volume of a solution is important because we need to know the concentration, amount per volume, of the reactants. And thus, the amount in moles is important. Luminous intensity may be less important unless one is running a photochemical reaction. There are a few units common in chemistry that are derived from these basic units. One example is the Dalton, which is one twelfth the mass of the carbon atom, or approximately one hydrogen atom. Biochemists are particularly fond of reporting masses of macromolecules like proteins in kilodaltons, that is, thousands of daltons. Another example is molarity of a solution. This is how chemists usually report concentration of some substance dissolved into a solution. So the unit is moles of substance per liter of solution. You might have a bottle of two molar sulfuric acid. Which means that there are two moles of sulfuric acid in every liter. A third example is the angstrom, a unit of length. One angstrom is one tenth of a nanometer, or one ten billionth of a meter, and is very conveniently near to the size of a small atom and the length of a chemical bond. 
Sometimes bond lengths are quoted in angstroms, or sizes of molecules in angstroms. The unit is named for Swedish physicist Anders Jonas Ångström, but it's technically not part of the international system of units. Over the past few decades, there is a trend in science to remove the actual physical prototypes and redefine the basic units based on innate standards, like the number of vibrations of a particular photon emitted by an electron jumping between two orbitals. But the units still remain and are a cornerstone of chemistry and all scientific enterprise. They make it easy for all chemists around the world to understand the conditions under which an experiment is run, and so they can reproduce it as needed, just as names for elements and compounds have been standardized through IUPAC. In our next episode, we discuss an entirely new method of seeing surfaces down to individual molecules and even atoms, the method of scanning probe microscopy. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.